earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you driving? At home? Elsewhere on your mobile device? Catching the podcast? Well, last time in Faith's Fundamentals, Building a Solid Belief System, we took a sober look at Satan, dipping our toes into the nature of the spirit world. The angel Lucifer defected and was cast out of heaven. Jesus told the seventy he sent out, he watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I believe Lucifer was also responsible for coaxing the defection of one-third of the original angels who evidently aligned with him. These became the demons we find in the Bible. During our sojourn on earth, we Christ followers must battle with Satan and his demons. Friends, we touched on these demons last time. They seem to be highly organized into ranks, as scripture catalogs them as principalities, powers, thrones, rulers, dominions, and authorities. It's also likely they unite or mass for battles, as we see such terms as world forces and strongholds or fortresses used. I shared that studying angels in scripture is a fascinating study. By this I mean both good and evil angels, including Satan. We humans are sure fascinated with the spirit world. The activities of the spirit world are big news today and dominate Hollywood's TV and movie world. Remember The Exorcist? That debuted in 1973. Friends, I'll never forget when my brother saw that movie. He came home and wanted to sleep in my room. He was so scared. Then there was Poltergeist, you know, they're here. And TV shows like Charmed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and its spin-off Angel. Then touched by an angel, crossing over with John Edward, Supernatural, Vampire Diaries, Walking Dead, and now its spin-offs. In our generation where science is king and has conditioned us to believe in only what we can see or measure, you would think that the idea of supernatural beings would be considered nonsense, ravings of a lunatic fringe in our society. But friends, in spite of the tremendous power of science in our world, there still remains a strong, curious flirtation with the spirit realm, including angels. Some time ago, one survey found that one in four popular rock songs are devoted to or thematically refer to the devil. Seemingly innocent pastimes like fortune-telling, Ouija boards, tarot cards, white magic, seances, and astrology become cracks in the door to the occult world. Parapsychology is one of the fastest-growing fields of academic research in colleges, kind of a merger between science and the spirit 
spirit world, investigating paranormal phenomenon. But friends, regardless of our spiritual frame of reference, the ultimate authority on the subject of angelic beings, in my view, should be the Bible. The Bible supplies us with a divinely inspired, balanced understanding of the nature and roles of both good and evil angels. Well, last time we zeroed in on Satan, the angel who fell. So today let's focus on the good angels, or as scripture calls them, elect angels in 1 Timothy 5.21. I borrowed today's title from Billy Graham's book, Angels, God's Secret Agents, now part 11 in our series. Well, friends, let's see what we can glean from these secret agents, or ministering spirits, as Hebrews 1.14 says. Are they not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Psalm 103 also speaks of these angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Well, our stepping stone is Second Kings 6, 8-17. Let's look at the successor to the prophet Elijah, the man Elisha. Elijah enters the world stage in First Kings 17, and as the book of Second Kings opens, Elijah's ministry has come to a close. He's taken to heaven alive in a whirlwind. We now come to chapter 6, verse 8, where Elisha's ministry is underway. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Do these words ring a bell? Listen to Second Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. 
But I'm hoping a New Testament verse popped into your head, like 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, a reference to false teachers, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's go on. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Now, friends, just in case we think this type of angelic intervention is a thing of the past, and these kinds of experiences are only found on the ancient and dusty pages of Scripture, listen to an event that occurred in 1956. In East Africa, there was the Mau Mau Uprising. Morris Plotz, a veteran missionary, shares this terrifying yet amazing event. A band of roving Mau Maus came to the village of Lori, surrounded it, and killed all 300 people, men, women, and children. Some three miles away was the Rift Valley Academy, a private boarding school where missionary children are educated while their parents worked elsewhere. After leaving the carnage at Lori, the Mau Maus headed straight for the academy, armed with spears, clubs, torches, and bows and arrows, and bent on destroying the school and killing everyone. Word got to those at the academy about the carnage at Lori, but there was no time or place to flee, so they prayed. As night fell, lighted torches were seen coming toward the school. The natives formed a complete circle around the school, cutting off all possible escape routes. Soon shouts and curses rang out from the Mau Maus. They advanced on the school, tightening their circle and shouting louder. When they got close enough to hurl their spears, they suddenly stopped dead in their tracks. Strangely, they retreated and ran back to the jungle. Now a call had come out to the authorities, and an army was dispatched to rescue everyone at the school. But when the army came, the Mau Maus had already fled. But the army searched for them and captured the entire band. Shortly after, a trial was convened, and the Mau Mau leader was called to the witness stand. The judge asked, On such and such a night did you kill the villagers in Lowry? The Mau Mau leader replied, Yes. The judge continued, Well, why didn't you complete your raid? Why didn't you attack the school? The Mau Mau leader, who never read the Bible and never heard the gospel, replied, We were on our way to destroy the school and kill everyone in it. But as we got closer, all of a sudden in between us and the school were many huge men in white with flaming swords. We became afraid and ran away to hide. Well, friends, how's that for a modern-day Elisha story? Let's highlight some verses here. In verse 16, we have, Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You see, friends, Elisha knew there was greater strength in the unseen reality of the hosts of heaven, in other words, the angelic beings, than in the visible reality of Aram's military forces. Psalm 91.11 says, For he, God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
In verse 17, we see horses and chariots of fire. Who or what were these horses and chariots? I propose that these were angelic beings who carry out God's will in the earthly realm. It's no coincidence they appeared as fiery horses and chariots. After all, these were images Elisha and the people of his day were already familiar. Elijah himself was escorted into heaven in a whirlwind of horses and chariots of fire shortly before this, as 2.11 says. Friends, I believe these images were intended to instill in Elisha and his servant both courage and comfort, since horses and chariots typically represented military might in that time in history. It's no doubt these angelic beings served to assure Elisha and his servant that God's forces were more powerful than the troops and chariots of the king of Aram. Hmm, visible versus invisible again? Makes me think of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Friends, this contrast between the visible and invisible shows up in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's underlying truth here provides a foundation to something he says in the very next chapter. We walk or live by faith, not by sight. In other words, we Christ followers should not be walking by the senses that connect us to the visible feeling world. Friends, I've said many times, I believe that from the moment we receive Christ as our Savior until the day we see him face to face, God's primary goal in our lives is to wean us off of our self-sufficiency. In other words, off of relying on resources in the seen world. Believe it or not, this account in Second Kings is just one of literally hundreds of encounters with angelic beings. The biblical evidence for both angels and demons is so widespread and substantial that it is positively overwhelming. In scripture, the good angels appear as messengers from God to humans. They work behind the scenes in the drama of world events as God's secret agents, advancing his program. Angels not only convey his blessings, they also execute his judgments. The New Testament gospels and epistles hardly make sense without the reality and role of angels. The book of Revelation is entirely dependent on the activity of angels for its existence, narration, and structure. Seventeen books in the Old Testament and seventeen in the New refer to these angelic beings. The word angel alone appears 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New. Interestingly, the Judeo-Christian scriptures are not the only records of angelic activities. The history of virtually every nation and culture reverberate with some belief in or understanding of angels. 
ancient Egyptians lavished the tombs of their dead more than their own dwellings, and took great pains to make their tombs impregnable, because they believed angels would visit them in a future generation. Islamic scholars theorize that at least two angels are assigned to each human. One records our good deeds, and the other are bad. Historical records show that religions existing long before Christianity and Islam have traditions about angels. But friends, as I said, regardless of our spiritual frame of reference, the supreme and final authority on the subject of angels should be the Bible. Last time I shared some benefits of studying the angelic realm as viewed through the eyes of Bible writers. These bear repeating. Studying the angelic realm increases our appreciation of a sovereign God whose creative ability, control of the universe, and intervention on our behalf assures our good and his glory. Studying the angelic realm also helps us better understand the Bible, the Christian life, Christian ministry, God's plan of the ages, and world conditions and events. And in addition, friends, studying angels should comfort us, believe it or not. Angels evidence God's concern for us. Angels in no way detract from his own personal concern, but rather illustrate and express it. Angels do not replace God or his love. We have God and angels. Studying angels also gives us a greater appreciation of God's holiness and righteousness. God actively opposes corruption and wickedness among angels and humans. There are solemn judgments on sin and rebellion for both. Gaining an understanding of the angelic realm magnifies the grace of God. God could have easily judged all of us humans in one fell swoop, yet he patiently waits for us to repent and return to him. One day, friends, God will establish a new heavens and a new earth in righteousness and grace where Satan and his demon hordes will have no part or influence and where the occult will cease to exist. You see, friends, studying the angelic realm in scripture challenges our Christian lives now. It sharpens our perceptions and makes us more aware of spiritual realities and in so doing frees our thoughts from their all-too-often confinement to the material world and our physical senses. As Christ followers, we must stand against spiritual wickedness by submitting to Jesus Christ and by his power resist evil forces. God's ministry of angels should encourage and assure us angels can and often do deliver us from physical and spiritual dangers. We can trust our lives to God who sends angels. Angels represent to us an example of complete devotion to God and a readiness to obey him. This should motivate us to worship and serve the Lord more fervently. Friends, the classifications and names ascribed to angels alone give us insight not only into the wonder of God, his power and program, but into the character our own walk with God should have. Just think of the simple and most generic name, angel. It simply means messenger. Angels as a class of beings are used by God as messengers or deliverers to make his purposes known or execute them. 
every Christmas season, without fail, we read the opening pages of Matthew and Luke, where angels play an integral part of unveiling God's plan for the birth of the Messiah. This seemingly simple occupation, being a messenger of God's program, reminded me of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul then added in 6.2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So, friends, we are following in the footsteps of angels, being messengers of God to a spiritually dying world in need of a savior? Then there's the term hosts. Recall Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Hosts is a military term. It means army, and its root means to wage war, to serve. It reminds us that angels are employed as a military force and represent an extension of God's power and providence. This helps remind us our Christian life here on earth is a spiritual battle and that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh and that we do not war according to the flesh, as Second Corinthians 10 reminds us. Additionally, friends, it's also a reminder that we must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so we can withstand the schemes of the devil, as Ephesians 6 tells us. Then there's the term holy ones used in the books of Job, Daniel, Zechariah, and Psalms, particularly Psalm 89. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. This is one word in Hebrew meaning separated or separated ones. It reflects on the holy character of God and carries the idea of total devotion to God, being separate from the world. I thought of Paul's words to Timothy, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please the one who enlisted him. Then there are two special orders of angels, cherubim and seraphim. Curiously, cherubim are never actually called angels since their duties don't involve delivering messages. As angelic beings of the highest order, they have indescribable power and beauty. It's possible that Satan was from the order of cherubim, as some understand Ezekiel 28. And interestingly, cherubim with a flaming sword were stationed at the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. Cherubim teach us that sin and paradise are incompatible. Sinners cannot approach a holy God without Christ's righteousness, per 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Seraphim make their grand appearance in Isaiah 6. This word means burning ones. It was a seraphim that brought a burning coal and touched Isaiah's lips and cleansed him from his sin. Friends, seraphim teach us that before we can stand before God, who is holy and without sin, we must be cleansed from sin, as Romans 6 tells us. Angels, hosts, holy ones, cherubim, seraphim, five fundamental designations of angelic beings, and they provide five basic lessons for us Christ followers. Angels, how are we doing as human messengers of God and his purposes? Hosts, how are we doing as soldiers in Christ's army? Are we waging spiritual war against human and angelic evil forces? Holy ones or separated ones, do we have a singular devotion to Christ? Or is our allegiance divided between Jesus and the world? Cherubim, are we straddling the fence between sin and God's kingdom? Do we have one foot in the kingdom and the other on a banana peel? And seraphim, is our light burning brightly, burning away the sins and sinful tendencies in our lives? Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. I hope these studies on angels help us better understand some fundamentals about the angelic realm. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word support team. Ask me for the details. And thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.